So my name is Brian Bradley. I'm one of the pastors here at Outward. I typically oversee our children's ministry, um, you know, all the classrooms and stuff that go on back there. And so I'm not up here a ton on Sunday morning, but uh, while Pastor Matt's out uh, taking a few weeks off recharging, uh, which is much overdue, I'm happy to step in and, and fill in for a week. Um, <clears throat> we've been going through the, uh, the book of Mark, and we're kind of cruising through at a pretty quick pace, uh, covering kind of some big sections each week, just kind of trying to get an overview of Mark, uh, not necessarily digging into every detail, but um, seeing the purpose and the direction uh, that Mark has as he's writing this book, uh, as he's writing this letter. And so we're going to be getting into that here in just a second. We're going to be in chapter 4 when we get there. But, but first I want to tell you <clears throat> a little bit about myself, okay? I love movies. This matters that you know this about me. I love movies. I love a good story. Uh, and, and so I, if I get a chance, if I've got some downtime, uh, what I want to do is watch a movie. My, my wife, when, when we have downtime, she wants to talk and go on walks and things like that. I'm like, man, let's just let's watch a movie. Let's plop down. And she's like, well, then we're not talking, which is true, but uh, I get to watch a movie. I love movies. I, just, I love the story. I love stories with great twists. So stories like uh, heist movies, right? Ocean's Eleven, uh, the Italian job, stuff like this where it's you know, they're, they're trying to rob, that probably says something about me, like, deeply psychologically or something, but, like, the, these heist movies, I love it. I love movies with a twist in the end, um, uh, movies that, that kind of leave you, uh, you know, on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to go on. The Matrix is probably my favorite movie of all time. Uh, just love it. I mean, it questions reality. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? I love it. I'd, I've seen that movie a ton of times. Planet of the Apes, the old one. Uh, from whatever, the 70s or something like that, Charlton Heston and all that. That was awesome. You get to the end, right? I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it. But it's good. You're like, what? No way. I love movies. I love a twist. I love a good story. So years ago when I was single, uh, here's, here's basically what my life looked like for, for a while, a season if you want to call it that, right? I went to work. I worked for a, a bunch of hours. I don't know. I'd, I'd work for 12 hours or something. And then I come home, and right around the corner from my apartment was a, uh, a Little Caesars pizza and a Blockbuster, if you remember what Blockbuster is. And so I would go in, I would get a pizza, like, pizza for five bucks? Like, that's fantastic. This is dinner and lunch tomorrow. That was, that was fine. I'll eat the same thing every day. So I grab a pizza, run over to Blockbuster, grab a movie, go home, plop down, watch a movie. Get up the next day, go to work, come back, return that movie, get another movie, get a pizza, and do the same thing. Th this was awesome. I love that. Like, I, I still look back fondly at, at those times. I'm glad they're over, to be honest. Uh, uh, maybe a hollow existence, but, but I love it. And so I, I was watching all these movies. It was so great. I'm like, all the movies that, you know, were on my to-watch list, uh, you know, these things that I want to see, you know, so I saw all the heist movies. I, I saw all the suspenseful movies, everything that I want to see. And then, like, eventually you just run out of good movies. And so I started taking some stabs in the dark, right? I'm like going through, I'm like, I've never heard, seen this before. I'll watch this. I'm like, that was terrible. And so then I made a mistake. I made a big mistake. I asked the employees of Blockbuster for suggestions. Okay, now I like movies. They're crazy about movies, okay? And if you work at Blockbuster, you know, it's probably true. Uh, or if you worked at Blockbuster, I guess, right? I mean, they're, they're like crazy about movies. And so I'm like, hey, I, I like suspenseful movies. I like movies with a twist and stuff. And uh, do you have any suggestions? Like, oh, yeah, come over here. Nobody's ever heard of this. It's like, maybe nobody's ever heard of it because it's not good. All right, but, you know, 
Uh, movie fanatics are like, oh, man, if nobody's heard of it, that's the movie. That's the one. And so they're, they're showing me all these movies. S- some were good. Uh, some, were, some were bad. Some I just didn't get. So one of the recommendations they, they made, they, oh, this has a great twist in it. You're going to love this. Donnie Darko. I don't know if anybody's seen that. Uh, if, okay, if you haven't seen it, let, let me do a quick synopsis of, of what, this, what happens in this movie. You sit down and watch Donnie Darko. A bunch of weird stuff happens, and then the movie's done, and then you go, what did I just put in my brain? That's, that's the plot line of Donnie Darko. Uh, that, that's it. I was like, what? What did they recommend? And if you like the movie, a ton of people like the movie. I, did, I just didn't get it. That was a story I didn't get, okay? We love stories, right? As a people, we love stories. For some of us, it's movies. For some of us, it's books. Uh, I, I love reading books, too. Uh, I, I just finished a book last night that I was just totally into. Um, we love these stories. Radio, right? In, in generations past, before TV, uh, when we'd watch the stories, we'd, families would sit around the radio and listen to a story, a great story, right, with twists, with heroes, with action, with suspense. We love stories. And then even before the radio, uh, you know, books and, and, you know, publications, things like that, plays, uh, you know, it used to be huge. People have always loved good stories. And so as we come to this passage in Mark, uh, there's two Big red letter sections in the book of Mark, only two, okay? And, and red letter meaning uh, words of Jesus, right? In some Bibles, when, when Jesus is talking, they put them in red letters, okay? So this here in, in Mark chapter 4, there's a big chunk of Jesus' teaching, and then there's one more later in the book. Uh, and this one in particular, it's just story after story after story after story. It gives us a clear picture of how Jesus liked to teach, he didn't like to teach by sitting down and giving a lecture, but he would tell a story. And so I want to talk about why he, uh, why he chooses to use a story and what he's saying in that. So we're going to talk about the power of the story, the purpose of the story, and the presenter of the story. Okay, so open your Bibles, Mark chapter 4. This is kind of the beginning of this section uh, of, of lots of stories. We're not going to read every one of them, but I want to focus on one story in particular, or a parable, we'll call it. It's, it's like a story with a purpose, a lesson inside it, okay? Mark chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus says, uh, well, actually, this is not Jesus talking quite yet. They're setting the scene. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got in a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, stop for a second, what's going on? He gets in a boat, people are on the shore, what, he, he's got like, you know, personal space issues or something, like, I don't want you to touch me. That's not what's going on. There's so many people, uh, some of the commentaries I was reading, they think this might be the largest crowd Jesus had preached to yet, okay, thousands of people potentially that are gathering around to hear him. And it's suspected that the place where he was at, uh, they call now the, the Bay of Parables. It's this like natural amphitheater kind of carved into the side of the land. And so Jesus, by getting in a little boat and floating just offshore a little bit, was using the boat as his pulpit 
to then tell these stories to this group of people who would be gathered in this bay. And, and somebody that I read said, somebody went and did a study or a sample or something, and they, they went and they you know, floated off the shore and they just started talking you know, in a loud, booming voice, and, and they're like, man, you can hear this. I forget the distance, but I mean, a long distance. Thousands and thousands of people could be hearing this as he's sitting in, in his boat and, and, you know, preaching to all these people. So that's what's going on here. That's why he floats off in, in a boat just offshore. The people are gathered to hear this story, to hear this lesson. Verse 3, listen, Jesus says. Listen, a sower went out to sow. This is not like sowing, right, but like sowing with seeds, okay? Not sowing clothes. All right. That was confusing to me. I don't know. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did, it, it, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the story that we're going to focus on. Now, why does Jesus choose to communicate in story? B beside the fact that we enjoy stories, we want to hear stories, why? Well, it's because of the power of a story. Okay? If, if we're communicating in a lecture format, transferring information from me to you or from me to a group, a, a, in a lecture format, you can communicate exactly the number of words that you say. At best, maybe less. Okay? Here, here's what I mean by that. If I say a hundred words, if I don't lose you by the end of that hundred words, you have received a hundred words that much knowledge, that much information can be passed, okay? It's exactly as many words as you use as what you can communicate. But a story is different. You, you've heard it said that a picture's worth a thousand words, right? By, by telling a story, you're painting a picture. So you may use the same hundred words to tell a story, but you're painting a picture that is maybe communicating a thousand words. By telling a story... Jesus can be communicating deep truths, deep theological ideas, so much more than if he was just communicating the words directly. By painting this picture, it can have layers and richness, and, and you can be pulling it apart. Now, 2,000 years later, we're still digging into these parables for all the nuggets of, of just great stuff that's hidden inside them. A story is so deep and so dynamic that you can contain so much more information than just a lecture or just the transfer of, of words. A story also has the ability to go beyond just a single context, right? We're not first century Middle Eastern uh, congregation here, right? We're in a totally different time, a totally different place. But by hearing the story, we can understand what he's getting at. We can understand the point and we can, you know, begin to understand the depth and the richness of this. That's the power of a story. That's why Jesus chooses to communicate in story. Jesus is making the unknown known. 
He's taking deep truths and, and, uh, you know, rich lessons about the spiritual world that we know nothing about, and he's making them knowable by even a common person, a farmer or a builder or a stonemason or whatever a person might be. He puts it in words that everyone can understand. That's the power of the story. If you can imagine how frustrating it might be, I don't want to impose this on God necessarily, but if I were God, it would be so frustrating to be an infinite God trying to to communicate vast spiritual truths to a very finite people. Right? This is the infinite God trying to communicate to a finite people. And you can imagine how frustrating that is. God is, is forever. He is eternal. He's the one who created all things with a word. God speaks and things come into existence. That's the God we're talking about. The God that forever was and is and forever will be. And I've said this before, I'll say it again because I I still can't wrap my mind around this. I physically cannot understand this. I can understand eternity future, right? You you, you with me on that? Like time is now rolling and it's going to keep rolling forever no matter what happens. That makes sense to me that things are just going to continue and God will continue being. Okay, I get that. But eternity past can you, can you even understand that? I can't. Eternity passed. God has no beginning. There was not a moment in time where God came into existence. He's always been. He's the infinite God. We can't even understand who, who God is or how He is. And now He comes, God incarnate, God in the flesh, Jesus comes for 33 years, walks among us, and tries to communicate just some of who he is and how he is, how he loves us, how he cares for us, how he relates to us, how he thinks about us. He has a very short amount of time and a very limited vocabulary to work in. That's our human vocabulary. And so he uses stories to illustrate truth. He says a lot of things like, the kingdom of God is like, and then he tells a story. Your hearts are like this. And then he tells a story. He does that so often, I think, because it's the only way to even begin to package these infinite truths in a way that a finite people can even begin to scratch the surface. That's the power of the story. And so then we go on to the purpose of the story. This story in particular, what is the purpose? What is Jesus telling us? We, we can see that there must be some deep truths, right? He's not just talking about, like, agricultural instructions. Hey, hey, this is going to help you. Next time you go to sow your field, here's what you should do, right? Like, oh, that's helpful, Jesus. Thank you. Um, <laughs> let, let me invent for you irrigation. <laughs> let's, let's do this thing. He, it's not agricultural instruction. There's deep truths here. And actually, if, if you turn with me or, or go just a little deeper in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 13... Jesus pulls his disciples aside, and he actually explains this parable to them. Uh, this one in particular, we, we have recorded how he explains the meaning. I can only assume that's because it's important that we understand it. Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? 
Now his explanation begins. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Does that help clarify a little bit? Jesus tells this story about four soils, some seed and a sower. And then he begins to explain what these four soils are. There, there are four ways your heart might respond to the seed. What is the seed? The seed is the Word of God. And these are the different ways that you might respond to His Word. Okay? The first group of people that He, that he uh, uh, sets up are, are the people along the pathway, a hardened pathway. So the, the way these fields would be, they'd be kind of long and narrow, uh, sometimes, I guess, you know, kind of weaving and wandering, uh, and they would walk down the center, scattering their seed and, and, you know, watering and harvesting and whatever, and back and forth and back and forth, they would walk right down the center of this field, and carts and donkeys and horses and other people would walk down this path, and it would pack the dirt down and compact it so much that it was hard, like pavement, in the middle, from years and years and years and years of being walked on, it would be packed down. It's hard on the surface, and he's comparing that to some of our hearts. Maybe you've been walked on, stepped on, crushed. Pressure has been applied over a long period of time, and it's created a hard exterior. And when the Word of God comes, when the seed comes, it just bounces right off the surface. Birds come, snatch it away, right? He says, Satan comes, takes it away. Uh, the wind might blow and just blow the seed on down the road. It's impenetrable. Nothing can get in. That's how some people's hearts receive that. Maybe you relate with that. You've been walked on, pressed, compacted, and it's hard. There's a hard surface on your heart. You don't want to let anything in. That's the first type of person that Jesus talks about. The second is the rocky ground. Now, when I first read this, the first few times I read this this week, I was thinking about my garden, okay? We decided to garden this year. I've never gardened before. Uh, my wife's done a, a little bit of gardening, but I'm like, I can do this, right? I mean, for thousands of years, men have been farming. I've got a little patch in my backyard. I can farm this. I, I, like, I've got this. No. Uh, I can't, as it turns out. Uh, more plants have died than lived. But, listen, we've got like a solid two tomatoes, one bell pepper, I think some celery, and something that might be potatoes. It also, it also might be a weed. Uh, we're not, but I'm going to let it grow, and I'm going to see, okay? Uh, this is my grand experience in farming. This is my prerequisite for being able to teach this passage. I'm, I'm a farmer now, right? So we decided we're going we're gonna to farm... 
this is not gardening. This is farming, okay? It's just micro-farming. That's what I'm doing. We're, we're going to farm this little patch of, uh, we even have one animal. It's a dog, but, you know. Um, so I'm going to farm this patch in my yard. And uh, so we start tilling this up, like, with a shovel and a trowel. And it's like, we, have, we don't have the right tools. We have no idea what we're doing. And I'm pretty sure our backyard used to be a gravel pit. I think that was the previous use, is people like stored and sold gravel because there's nothing but rocks in this garden. I don't know what is going on. So we're like digging. It's like, you know, you hear that? It's like, oh, geez. You know, you dig out, you pull out a rock. Oh, another one. It's just rocks and rocks and rocks, which, uh, which our girls love grabbing and taking in the house and things like that. I, I don't know. You find them in your shoes and in cups, and it's like we're rocks everywhere now. Uh, that's what I had in mind, right, with the rocky soil. I'm like, okay, I, I have a context for this. I know what's going on. Well, not exactly how it is in, uh, like, first century Palestine, right? Uh, when they're talking about rocky soil, actually what it is is just a sheet of limestone just under the surface. And so there'd be a little bit of dirt on top, dust, some moss, whatever, that, that is accumulated on the top. You go down just a couple of inches, and it's just a sheet of limestone. So that when they're talking about rocky soil, that's, that's what he's talking about. And the significance of that is that uh, w- with our garden, even with all the rocks that are in it, the plants are, uh, you know, the roots can get down in there. They can kind of work their way around the rocks and stuff like that. That's not what's going on here. There's no way for these plants, for this wheat or, or whatever grain he's describing, there, there's no way for it to take root, for the roots to go deep. It's all surface level, right? It's, it's just surface level understanding and, and receiving of God's Word. So that's the second type of person that he's describing, is a person that is, uh, you know, receives the Word of God with joy, gets excited, gets worked up. I've seen these people. They're not a Christian one week. The next week, they're, they're a Christian. They're like, hey, I'm, can I get up there and talk for a while? I think I could preach. That, I could do that. They're like all in, all, you know, all go, ready, right? They, they burst up like he's describing here. And, and they might be fine for a while until that Middle Eastern sun comes out. The scorching heat, the relentless, uh, you know, sun beating down on these plants. And because their roots don't go deep, because they aren't drawing the moisture from the ground, they just get scorched, they wither, they fade, they die. I've seen this in people. It grieves me. They, they receive the Word of God, with excitement, they seem to flourish right away, and then the sun comes out. The scorching heat, trial, temptation, uh, hardship, grief, whatever that is, it's like the scorching sun baking these plants, and they wither and they die because the roots don't go deep. They aren't drawing on the, the water that's underneath. They aren't drawing on, on the depth of the grace of Christ. They aren't drawing on the, the richness that Jesus has for them. And they wither and they fade. The third type that he uh, discusses is uh, the seed lands and it's choked out by thorns and, and weeds. I also have experience with this uh, in, our, in our little farm. Uh, <laughs> the seed takes, it apparently is getting some, some the roots are going down, it's starting to flourish, but so are the, the weeds and the thorns around it. And what happens, he, Jesus says, 
That's, that's the cares of the world. You become so worried about money, the deceitfulness of riches, he says. You, you, you become so concerned with keeping up with the Joneses. You, you're so consumed with, you know, the bigger house, the newer car. You're consumed with the next promotion, the next thing in life, the, whatever that is. If, if I could just take one more step, then I'd be happy. And then one more step, right? It's, uh, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to botch the quote, but uh, or who it's from, but, but they say, when, when, when will you have enough money? Or, or how much money is enough money? And the guy says, just a little bit more, right? Uh, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And that's those thorns and the weeds, they're creeping in, they're choking out the nutrients of the faith that's taken root. That's the third type of person, and, and you may relate with that. And the fourth type is the good soil. Let me be perfectly clear. If you've zoned out, come back. Let me be clear Good soil is not good people. This is the number one mistake or misconception of religion. This is where Christianity departs from religion. It's not good people, okay? The ones that are going to receive this this seed, that the roots are going to grow deep, that they're going to be lush and vibrant in their faith, this is not good people. It's good soil, a lot of times, good people are going to be, you know, covered in weeds and thorns and all that kind of stuff. Good people uh, may be just surface level with the stone underneath. Good people might be so hardened by what they've been through that they don't let anything penetrate their heart. This is not good people. This is good soil. This is soil wet, ready to receive the Word of God. These are people ready to receive what God would have for them with humility, with openness. Good soil might be bad people. Often it is. Good soil is, is the adulterers and the, and the swindlers and the thieves, the murderers, whatever. Good soil is whatever background you have. You might have a religious background or an irreligious background. You might come from a great family or no family at all. It doesn't matter Good soil is the soil ready to receive the Word of God, ready to receive that soil. Let the roots grow deep. Let Jesus be the sower that is producing a harvest that's 30, 60, or 100-fold. Have I made that clear? Good soil, Jesus isn't talking about good people. Right? Tim's sermon last week, Jesus says, I don't come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous, the sinner. The righteous people? They've got it figured out, or at least so they think. Jesus says it's not the well that need a doctor, but the sick. Good soil is soil ready to receive the Word of God with whatever background or baggage comes in. And so we might ask, well, what makes good soil? I'll tell you this, the soil doesn't make itself good, okay? <laughs> I know that from my garden. The soil doesn't make itself good. There's a lot of work that goes into that. It's the sower that's doing that work. He comes and he tills and he prepares. He breaks up the hardness. He removes the rocks, pulls the weeds. It's the Holy Spirit working in your heart that will make your heart good soil. That's what makes good soil. Let me just tell you briefly about my progression through these soils. I think at one time or another, I have been or experienced all four of these. 
I would say originally, growing up, I was probably like the, the path, uh, hardened, compacted, not open to receiving anything. And there came a time then where uh, I, I heard the gospel preached. It seemed to make sense to me. I got real fired up, real excited about it. I'm like, I'm in now. What, what channel's Air One on? I'm like, let's do this thing. I thought that was, that's Christianity. You get K-Love on the radio and you're good. Uh, it, like, I was, I was ready. I was, I was the, the shallow soil with that sheet of rock underneath. I didn't let any roots grow down deep. I wasn't interested in, in learning and, and soaking in the richness that Jesus has. It was all surface level. And guess what? The sun came out, the scorching heat, some hard times, a little bit of hardship, fried them. Fried whatever faith I had because it wasn't deep. It was all just surface level. And then uh, another point in time, years later, the Holy Spirit had finally reworked the soil of my heart in a way that it was good soil. It was ready to receive the seed. And honestly, the hard stuff that I went through when I felt like my life was falling apart, I think Jesus was using that to really till up the rock, the slate, the stone, get underneath that. So I was ready to receive his word. And now, I'll be honest, and I don't know if you're this way too, but I feel like I am constantly at risk of being overrun by thorns and weeds. That's where my heart's at now. Jesus has made the soil good in my heart, right? I'm ready to receive it. And all the work that I did in my garden, tilling that earth and everything, it made it great for tomatoes to grow. It also made it great for everything else to grow, right? And I feel like that's kind of how my heart is a little bit, that it's like, I'm ready, man, to, to receive all this stuff. And, and so the cares of the world, you know, the, the, the next thing, the chasing after whatever, you know, and, and money and, and, you know, advancement, all this stuff starts choking out my faith. And I have to constantly be in a process of allowing Jesus to pluck that stuff out, to pull it out, to remove it. That's just kind of where I'm at. That's the purpose of the story. Jesus is telling us about the different uh, types of soil that our heart might be. So the power of the story we talked about, the purpose of the story, and now let me tell you just briefly about the presenter of the story. This, this is the twist. This is the hook. This is where the story takes that, that unexpected turn Jesus is the greatest storyteller of all time, not because of this parable of the four soils, not because of this story or any of the other stories that he told to illustrate points. Jesus is the greatest storyteller of all time because of the story that he lived. Jesus' very life was a story being told, right? I said, that, uh, I said that Jesus would tell these stories. Part of the power of the story is to make the unknown known. That's exactly what Jesus was doing in his life. He was making the unknown known. He was taking this God who we didn't know, who seemed maybe distant and far away, and he was making him known and personable. 
He was showing us how God relates to us. He was showing us who God is. He was showing us how God loves us. Jesus was making the unknown known in the way that he was living his life. That was the greatest story that he ever told. It's a story of hope and of rescue, a story of a Savior. All of the Old Testament, the stories, the parables, the the feasts, the festivals, everything that was happening, those were parables. Those were stories pointing forward to Jesus. They were telling us of the Savior that's coming, and then Jesus lives, and this life is the greatest story of all time. Jesus, he, he makes known how truth and grace can exist simultaneously. The truth that you have sinned against God, that that must be paid for, and the grace to say, I'll pay for it, so that you can be accepted. Justice and mercy simultaneously. Jesus shows us how that exists. Because God does not simply look over the injustice of our sin against one another and against Him primarily. He doesn't just look the other way and say, ah, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. He upholds His perfect justice. He says that must be paid for. And He sends Jesus to die on the cross to pay for it. Justice and mercy simultaneously. Taking the unknown and making it known. That's what Jesus' life was doing. He takes us from death and moves us to life. How does death and life simultaneously exist in one person? Well, Jesus takes the death on himself, the death that we deserve, the death we should have died. He takes that and he nails it to the cross and he gives us his life. And more than that, he takes us from being dead, opponents of God, revilers of God, enemies with God, and he makes us adopted sons and daughters of God. He takes us from the outside throwing flaming darts at God, and he pulls us inside, and he sits us at the table. It's that death and life simultaneously existing as Jesus takes all of that punishment on himself and gives us his grace. The real twist is the presenter of the story. The seed that he's describing, the word of God, is himself. It is the gospel, what we call the gospel. The word gospel means good news. The word gospel means the story of Jesus' life. Right? This is the gospel of Mark. This is Mark's account of Jesus' life. That gospel is the seed. And so then the question is, how will you respond to the storyteller? How will you respond to that storyteller? What type of soil will your heart be? Will you allow him to till it up, to make it good soil? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for for this story and every story that you told. Jesus, thank you for taking the unknown and making it known. God, thank you for communicating with us in a way that we could understand, even if it's just barely scratching the surface of who you are and how you are. God, we thank you that you use those words, you use those terms, you use these stories that that we can understand. And Jesus, we thank you most of all for the greatest story, 
We thank you most of all for your life as you lived it out, showing us who God is, showing us who you are, showing us how you relate to us, showing us how you love us, how you can uphold both truth and grace, how you can uphold both justice and mercy perfectly, simultaneously. Amen.